This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Hey, Jared. Do you have a favorite suit designed for Havoc? I really like the X-Factor suit. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm partial to the Planet X design. They're all okay. I mean, teach their own, really. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I can't stand most of his suits. Yeah, most of them are not the best. I'd go as far as saying they're extremely awful. (sighs) You're a monster. No, I'm not. I just like to cause a little havoc. Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today we're talking about Havoc. But I am not alone today, because I am joined by the host of Punch the Timeline podcast, Jared. Jared, say hello to the people. Hello, thanks for having me on today, Lance. Of course, I, I was super excited to have you on. I I just listened to your Peacemaker episode, really enjoyed that. Uh, it, it's fun just because the the way you talked about the character and breaking them down uh, seemed very in in tune to what we do here on the show, so I was excited to have you on. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was it was really fun to like read all those books and put it out there for everybody, so you can get a little more on the character that John Cena is playing. And I can't wait to see the movie to compare it. Yes, I I just got to see it, and you will be very happy with his portrayal. Oh, tomorrow night! I'm so excited. Uh-huh. So, tell us a little bit about your show. Um, Punster Timeline, ever evolving. It's a really original concept where we read comic books and then kind of talk about them. Uh, my co-host Devin, we've been together um, on this project for almost a year. And then lately we've been bringing in my wife to kind of alternate. And she's not as much of a fan. So hearing her perspective on some of these books is really funny. Oh, absolutely. I I have uh, joked with my wife about bringing her on and she's like, just no. She's like, I, I will not. Mine was the opposite. Like she has her own podcast. And one day I was like, I might need to pull you in. And she's like, okay, let's do it. Let, tell me what to read. And so that's how it got started. That's amazing. So my wife will come to like all of the nerdy movie showings. She came with me to go see uh, the Suicide Squad. But as, as far as like talking about things like it, she's like, no. But that <laughs> might just be because she is an extreme introvert. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's jump straight into this episode, shall we? Let's do it. Alexander Summers is the second of three children to Christopher Summers and Catherine Ann. While living in Alaska when Alex was still young, his pilot father took the family on a flight that was subsequently attacked by the Shi'ar spaceship. Alex and his brother Scott, the future X-Men Cyclops, were fastened to a parachute and pushed off the plane by their parents. Now, interestingly enough, this is the event that would later turn Christopher Summers, so their father, into another superhero, and he would end up uh, running the team, the Starjammers. But that's a, a completely different episode to talk about at a later date. Alex and Scott were saved and placed in an orphanage. Alex was soon adopted. However, Scott remained there for much of his childhood. Alex was raised by the Blanding family, who had lost their son, Todd, in a car accident. The boy responsible for Todd's death would later kidnap Alex and his foster sister, Haley. 
Like, how messed up is this person? Like, <laughs> caused the death of this one family's son and then kidnaps the others. Yeah. There's a, there's some, like, weird vendetta thing going on there. To protect them both, Alex manifested his powers for the first time, incinerating their abductor. Alex would have his memory wiped of the incident, however, by Mr. Sinister due to his obsession with the Summer's bloodline. Obsession. That is an understatement. How many times <laughs> How many times in the book have you seen where someone's watching on a screen and you just see the hand and then there's someone else watching that on a screen? Yes. Yes. Obsession. Yeah. It is it is super creepy. How it it's it is ridiculous of how much he is always watching that family and the interest there. Super creepy. Alex would go on to college to earn a degree in geophysics, where he would first meet the X-Men and discover Cyclops to be his long-lost brother. Alex was kidnapped once again by the living Pharaoh, resulting in the manifestation of his powers once again. Alex would join the X-Men team and begin a relationship with Polaris. Havoc's personality resulted in an on-again, off-again relationship with the X-Men throughout the years. Yeah, that that is a very brief uh, bio of Alex Summers, but his character is is really interesting, and I feel like he's a good kind of opposite-spectrum personality for his brother, Scott. What do you think, Jared? I really do think that he is at his best when he is away from his brother, because when he's with Scott, it's just like, oh, I'm Scott's brother and oh, we're going to butt heads. And I did read a book where they've gotten to a fist fight because their powers don't work. And they just... <laughs> I like Havoc when he's on his own. Yes, I, I am a big fan of Havoc. I was excited when we were talking about which character we should cover together. And you had brought up Havoc because we're, we'll talk about the show later. But in, in X-Men Evolution was when I was really introduced to the character and developed an appreciation for him and he was he turned into one of my favorite characters from that show period so very excited to talk about him today you want to talk to us about a little bit about the comic all right so some names and aliases for havoc alexander summers havoc obviously a code name mutant x magistrate summers and the goblin prince you can also throw lex in there yeah because in x factor they call him lex I think it's so strange that it was Larry Trask that gives him the code name Havoc. And he takes it. He accepts it. He's like, I guess I'm Havoc. Yeah. It, it's just, he just runs with it. Yeah. <laughs> so random. Uh, powers and abilities. He has cosmic energy absorption and plasma beams. And I have to say, there is a right and a wrong way to draw those powers. Yes. Very much so. Which area do you fall under do you like the straight up blasts or the circles the massive amount of circles i like i'm like the joe Quesada where it's like where with his hands you know there's the circles building up but there's residual around it yes you know there's those smaller circles but some people just do like the blast and there's a couple of circles in them but yeah i i stick with the the joe Quesada version good choice um, affiliations for Havoc include X-Men, honestly, Avengers Unity Squad, X-Factor Investigations, Starjammers, X-Factor, The Six, Genosian Magistrates, Defenders for a Day, Brotherhood of Mutants, and Dark Descendants. And then I'll add uh, Uncanny Avengers. We'll throw That's that right. one in there too. Mm -hmm. Supporting characters include, obviously, Scott Summers, Polaris, and literally any X-Men characters. You throw the X-Factor team in there. 
Antagonists include Mr. Sinister, which we've shown is an understatement, <laughs> Living Monolith, Larry Trask, Sauron, and pretty much every X-Men villain. Yeah, he if if there is an X-Men villain, Havoc has encountered them on a uh, number of times. So it, it's just kind of hard to to come up with these lists of supporting characters and antagonists for anyone in the X-Men universe. Because it's if they're a quote unquote good guy, every single X-Men is their ally. If, if they are a, if and every single one of their villains is one of their antagonists. So just just saving time by just saying all of the above. True. So now that we've talked a little bit about the comic, let's go into the archives. Havoc was created by writer Arnold Drake and artist Don Heck. If you listen to our Black Widow episode, you'll recognize the name Don Heck as one of her co-creators. Be sure to listen to our Black Widow episode to learn more about Heck up to his creation of the notorious Femme Fatale. After co-creating Black Widow in April of 64 alongside Stan Lee and Don Rico, Heck would continue to illustrate the Iron Man feature within Tales of Suspense from issue 50 to 72. Heck would succeed Jack Kirby as penciler for the Avengers, starting with issue 9 in October of 1964, where the trio of Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Don Heck would co-create Wonder Man. During his historic Avengers run, Heck would co-create Count Nefaria, Swordsman, Power Man, not Luke Cage, but instead a villain-turned-hero, who would later adopt the name Atlas and join the Thunderbolts, the Collector, Bill Foster, who would later become Goliath, and the Living Laser. He would also co-create Manus in 1973, but that's jumping ahead. That is a serious list of characters to create at that period of time. And really the intimidation of like taking over for Jack Kirby. Like, yeah, th- those are some big shoes to fill. Even in 64, I mean, Kirby was still Kirby. Yeah, literally the king. Yes. Heck drew the Avengers title through issue 40 in May of 1967. And in November of 1967, Heck would begin penciling X-Men with issue 38. Arnold Drake was born in New York City in 1924. His father was a furniture dealer and his two elder brothers would grow up to become respected songwriters. At 12, Drake contracted scarlet fever, resulting in a years-long bed rest. To fill the time... Drake drew his own comic strip and would later take to writing. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've been doing research for these episodes, and there has been some medical emergency that has put these individuals in the hospital that results in them becoming obsessed with comics. I I, I want to go back and listen or, or read through my notes to find out how many. I guess that's something... I mean, you're going to the drugstore to get medicine or whatever and to, you know, pass the time or something or to make it feel a little better. You grab some comic books and it becomes a thing and you kind of roll with it. Yeah, because I I feel like at this point with all these creators that were hospitalized, having TVs in hospital rooms was definitely not a thing. It it, it wasn't the thing that you're like, oh, let's make this convenient, give them something to do. No, it was that period of, okay, so what are you reading or... You can talk with the person that's in your room. It it makes sense that all of these individuals that when they were younger wanted to fill this time when they were on bed rest or stuck in the hospital, naturally gravitating towards this medium was that perfect jumping on point for them to be like, no, I I like want to do this with my career, which is amazing. Drake would study journalism at the University of Missouri and NYU. In 1950, 
He would co-write It Rhymes With Lust alongside Leslie Waller in a promographic novel comic magazine under the combined pseudonym of Drake Waller. So, so random. They're just like, well, we don't want to put both of our names and we want to be inconspicuous. Let's just combine our names. Drake would begin working for DC Comics after meeting and collaborating with his brother's neighbor. Oh, did I forget to mention that neighbor was Batman co-creator Bob Kane? What? What do you do for work, Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, just co-create Batman. Now, there again, eventually we will cover Batman. And I know there are some muddy waters with the creation of that character. So we're not we're just going to gloss over that right now. Moving forward, right? Moving forward with Havoc. Kane would introduce Drake to a few DC editors, resulting in his first known work for the comic publisher in Batman 98, writing the first seven of eight pages of a story called The Return of Mr. Future in March of 1956. Drake's work at DC was expansive and genre hopping from adventure dramas, comedy, mystery, and even supernatural fiction. Drake and his friend, Bob Haney, discovered Marvel Comics in 1962 and warned their publisher of the imminent rival in the medium. So just imagine that this little company, Marvel, is kind of rising in popularity these writers are saying, hey, DC, you need to watch out for this company. Like, they're coming. And DC was just like, no, don't even worry about it. Uh, Because they literally were dismissed from, like, the the editor's room. But then in 1963, Marvel had a massive growth in popularity. To rival Marvel's increasing popularity, Drake was asked to develop a feature series to appear in My Greatest Adventure. He received this assignment on a Friday with a script deadline set for Tuesday with instructions to, quote, emulate Marvel's idea for superheroes with more character depth. Can you imagine getting that task? I've I've heard of um, of a writer before that, like they handed him some pencils and they're like, here's the plot. Here's the pencils. You've got the weekend to script this. All all the caffeine, you know, just (laughs) no sleep. Yeah. You, you don't sleep. It, it, it blows my mind that some of these characters that are so iconic now were created under such pressure that like, like the idea of, okay, create a character that's so good that it's going to rival what is best over at another company, but you have three days to do it. It's like, you know, it's the, it's the no, no lose situation really. Cause either you get it done and it's successful or you can be like, I tried and sorry. Like, what are you going to do? That, that is the most optimistic way of looking at that I've, I <laughs> could even think of. You're just coming from the opposite direction. I love it. Miraculously, Drake would develop the concept behind what would become Doom Patrol. Drake would turn to his friend and fellow DC writer Bob Haney to co-plot and co-script Doom Patrol's first appearance with artist Bruno Premiani designing the characters. The team would debut in My Greatest Adventure issue 80 in June of 1963 and would retitle the series to The Doom Patrol with issue 86. Now, have you uh, watched Doom Patrol, the show? I haven't. You should. It is. It's insane, but I absolutely love it. So apologies to Marvel for promoting a DC (laughs) product in there, but they're not listening anyway, so I can do whatever I want. Drake and Bob Brown would co-create Beast Boy in Doom Patrol 99. Just a few months after Doom Patrol's creation and release, 
Marvel would publish the X-Men issue number one. Drake would take notice of some similarities between the two titles, including a wheelchair-bound mentor and a rival team called the Brotherhood of Evil, Mutants, in contrast to Doom Patrol's Brotherhood of Evil. Just a little similar. It's called it's called Parallel Thought. Exactly. Same same concept behind like Man Thing Swamp Thing coming out almost at the same exact time too, right? Yes, exactly. National's editorial staff was unsupportive of Drake's complaints, forcing the writer to concede the similarities as coincidence. Premiani and Boltanoff would appear as themselves in the final story of Doom Patrol, discussing the team's oncoming demise. However, Drake was removed by order of DC publisher Erwin Donenfeld as Drake had begun working at Marvel. So just a little salty. I mean, these are these are the days of the pseudonym, so you don't get the publisher mad at you. So I can see why. Yes, yes. All the time. That's when you use Drake Waller. That's right. <laughs> Prior to leaving DC, Drake and artist Wynn Mortimer co-created Stanley and His Monster in January of 1966, which has been described by comic historians as a precursor to Bill Watterson's comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. Drake would also co-create Dead Man with artist Carmine Infantino in Strange Adventures 205, which is the first known depiction of narcotics in a comic approved by the Comics Code Authority. We're going, we're going deep with info in this episode. Drake would begin freelance work for Marvel in the late 1960s, starting with Captain Savage, issue 5. He would begin writing X-Men, beginning with issue 47, teaming up with artist Don Heck. He would introduce and co-create multiple new characters to the series, including Mesmero, Lorna Dane, known as Polaris, and of course, the focus of our episode, Havoc. Alexander Alex Summers, aka Havoc, made his comic book debut in X-Men issue 54 in March of 1969. Now that we've talked about the creators and their impact in the comic book medium, let's go to the poll list. Now, Jared, do you want to start us off with your first pick for the poll list for Havoc-related comics? So I've learned on my podcast journey um, that you kind of gravitate towards what you were reading when you were younger. Absolutely. I started reading in 1992, and my comic book shop was Walmart. I came from a very small town, so my access to comic books was whatever Walmart had on a little side wing. There's a little comic book rack. So I didn't have a lot of comics that branched out. I had X-Men, Superman, Spider-Man. And then for some reason they had X-Factor. And I kind of got to know X-Factor when I, you know, every now and then I get to go to the comic book store and there was a crossover. It was um Executioner song, which is the first time I really got to notice X Factor. Yep. So that's X Factor as the team, really the not the original one, but the one with Havoc was really. I was like, these guys are cool, and they're not the X Men. It's kind of they're doing their own thing. So X Factor eighty seven through eighty nine, written by Peter David, who had a really good way of showing like the human side of the team, and it wasn't just like fight, 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 fight. You know, there was silly moments there was you know they would talk about you know feeling down and having problems and the artist on this run a uh, little up-and-coming guy named joe quesada 
just, just, you know, just a small name. Yeah. So that, that one definitely stands out in my mind as a must grab. Yeah. I, Peter David does such a great job with humanizing characters. He, he did the same thing with Hulk too. Yeah. There's a scene where, um, they're when X factor, the team is meeting for the first time and they're all trying to open this jar of mayonnaise and they're just passing it around and getting frustrated. And I don't think anyone could pull that off. Like Peter David did. It was really funny. That's amazing. Well, I, I am always one of those people that when we're covering a new character, I always want people to read their first appearance just to see specifically exactly when they showed up, just kind of the feel of comics and considering the fact that this came out in March of 1969, it, it very much has the lingo. It's like th- the hip lingo that was going back and forth. It's super funny to read. I, I love it. So I'll start off. My first pull is going to be X-Men uh, issue 54, but I'm kind of going to blend it into uh, this run that's collected. It's called X-Men Visionaries uh, Volume 2. So it's called X-Men Visionaries 2 Neil Adams. Yes. Neil Adams takes over in, and so it starts with issue 56. So read X-Men 54 and then get this trade. So issue 56 through 65. And in reality, I think the trade actually skips 64. So it's like 56 through 63, skip 64, and then does 65. But you have art by Neil Adams and the story is by Roy Thomas. So Roy Thomas, one of the co-creators of Wolverine, he pops up all the time. He was one of Marvel's big editors for a long time. I've actually had the pleasure of meeting him at a con before. He's extremely nice. This this collection really has Havoc's first adventures after being discovered. And he meets uh, Lorna Dane, so Polaris in there. They develop a relationship, even though certain other X-Men are trying to also date Polaris. And so they're not as happy about that. So, of course, you have that relationship drama. But it, it's... It's fun. There's a lot of like wacky adventures that they start off with. It's more about Havoc trying to develop like his understanding of his powers and how to control them. He still has the suit that Larry Trask gave him, which is so strange to think like Larry Trask abducts Havoc or abducts Alex Summers from his college campus and then gives him a suit, gives him his name, and then just I, I didn't see why he was doing what he was doing. And so I think it's important that everyone read that that issue to figure out what the heck is going on. But that would that would be my first poll. A good call. I just typed in Havoc in Marvel Unlimited, and that was one of the first issues. Is Havoc, you know, in the suit? Like, I guess I'm called Havoc. But then I was like, whoa, that's Neil Adams. Yes. So the mm-hmm. layouts of this of that issue are just so great, very cinematic. Yes. Havoc really has had a lot of really good artists depict him. Absolutely. I could list them, but I think we're going to do that a little bit later. Yes. He Havoc is one I feel like those one of those characters that has so many amazing artists work on them, but the suits have been such a struggle for so many years and some of them are of their time period. So yeah. in the in the 90s suit designs were not the greatest. There there was a lot of struggle there, but it's hard just because Havoc's first design isn't one of the most dynamic. And so trying to create a new suit that you can tell is similar to it, but is interesting or unique or or really like eye-catching is difficult just because of what was originally there. 
I just can't get over the, what do you even call that? His little head covering with <laughs> yes. the little yes. ring things on him. Uh-huh. That's just unnecessary. Absolutely. It, it's like, um, like the crappy version of Cerebro. Yes. Yes. It's the five-year-old or the 10-year-old version of, hey, build Cerebro. And you get frustrated <laughs> towards the end and just quit. They they just grabbed some tin foil, just shaped it around. Seriously, if you were fighting somebody and they had those easily accessible little handles on top of their head, wouldn't you just snatch him by the head? Yes, absolutely. That that is a a definite weak point in his design, which they fix later. But wow, is that rough in the beginning? Yes. All right, what do you got for your next poll? Okay, so going with the theme of the costume. Uh, I went with Mutant X 1 through 6, which is where Havoc is thrown into another dimension. And uh, it's it's an alternate timeline. And he, the Havoc of that world is killed and his spirit like uh, goes into that body. Of course. And he has, he has the, 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 a cooler suit and he doesn't have the little head gear. But it's just a different look at Havoc where he's the leader of the six. And he's, it's just like somebody was like, Hey, let's just do like the opposite of everything with Havoc. Let's just, let's just have some fun. Cause I mean, he's married to Madeline Pryor. Archangel's just like evil. I think Storm's a vampire. Like there's just so many weird things, but it's worth a read because of just how weird it is. Yeah. I, I think it was fitting that they, they definitely went with the trope of the brothers attracted to whoever their brother is attracted to kind of a thing. Cause like yeah. being with Madeline Pryor, like seriously, it's just, it's so, so messed up, but Hey, keeping it in the family, I guess. <laughs> My next poll is going to be 2013's uncanny Avengers by writer Rick Remender and artist John Cassidy. I am a massive fan of Rick Remender. I think his writing style is unbelievably engaging and he adds so much depth and heartbreak to his dialogue and because there's so much to work with within the x-men universe and so many trials and tribulations because this series takes over after the death of professor x havoc's brother scott aka cyclops is imprisoned and the entire world is probably the worst it's ever been as far as hating mutants like there is graffiti on walls saying like mutants need to die like it is it is bad to the point where remender is writing this dialogue for wolverine who's reading at his like reading a eulogy and he's he even says something to the point of i'm kind of glad you're not here to see the worst of what it's ever been just it's just like his his dream of wanting unity between mutants and humans has completely gone out the window. The series is really well written and exciting. And I, I know you've been reading it too. We we've kind of picked it up. So what, what are some of your thoughts on, on the series? The first part I really liked is where captain America is like, I want you to be the leader. Yes. I want you to. And then like, there's a brief moment where they're in action and he questions havoc and havoc's like, do you want to take over? And oh. Captain America's like, you're right. I'm sorry. And he's like, go be Captain America. Go do your thing. So there's that trust that Captain America puts in Havoc because they want 
Havoc to be the voice and the face of this movement to show, hey, we're embracing mutants. Mutants are not a problem. You know, we're going to help save the day. That I like the dynamic, the Wolverine moments that you're talking about, how he's like, I tried, I'm sorry. And the suit, the Havoc suit, is a little bit more improved. Yes, I really enjoy his suit in this run. John Cassidy on art for that first arc was just beautiful. I, yeah. I had issues a little bit with the cap suit, but other than yes. that, that that's what I was going to say. It looked more like feathers than it looked like, like armor. On, yeah. Yes. Yes. That was my issue. Little nitpick. That mm-hmm. was all I've got, but yes, it's, it was, it's a real page turner. And this, and there are moments where it's like, I had to like turn the iPad away from my kid. Cause there's some graphic stuff. I'm like, don't look. Yes. There, there is so in this series you have all of this aftermath where the world hates mutants there's been so much destruction so you have cap who wants havoc to take over as leader of the avengers to run his own little team and try and change the thought process behind the general public on mutants overall during this the early issues you have wolverine that's talking to cap and Wolverine's just like, this isn't going to work. The people hate mutants right now. You can't just put a mutant that looks pretty just because he doesn't look different and think it's going to work. And then in that moment, they look over and Havoc had just saved another man and he had saved other members of his family. And they overhear him say to Havoc, I don't care that you're a mutant or whoever you are. We don't have enough heroes. And he just hugs him. He just hugs Havoc, like embraces him. And then Wolverine kind of has this epiphany and looks at Cap and they just start like, there's this knowing look of like, okay, yeah, this needs to be a thing. And and that team is so cool. So you have Havoc, Cap, Thor, Wolverine, Rogue, and Scarlet Witch. It's this, it's this really cool blend of Avengers and X-Men, which it, it's so cool. Highly recommended. It. It's just... The way that it all comes together, I mean, I know every team book, there's like a struggle and then it's like, we should be a team. But, you know, there's the the hatred between Rogue and Scarlet Witch and then there's Thor just being Thor. And I mean, the Wolverine cap argument that you're talking about was it's a poignant moment and it's a it's a page turner and I I'm going to keep reading it. Yeah, same. I'm going to finish this run. It's yeah. It's that good where I, I, I'm, I'm so excited doing research for these episodes when I find series that I immediately gravitate towards. I knew I knew Remender was going to be hitting some heavy blows with it, but he like goes the extra mile with this one. So really excited to keep reading that. You have one more poll. I would go with Executioner Song, actually, which is all the X books. But you get to see Havoc interact with the X-Men, X-Force, you know, the team of X-Factor. It's really a it's really a summer's family oriented event because it is, you know, Strife tries to kill Professor X and Cable's hot on his heels and all the the battling that goes on. It's just and the art, the artists on that run are just like you look at it now and you're just like, holy crap. You know, you've got Andy Kubert, um, Greg Capullo, uh, Jay Lee. I forget the uncanny artist, but man, that that is the first time that I was like a crossover. You say I must have all these issues. Yep. So good. And th- these were the issues that had those like lenticular cards, right? 
Oh no, that was Fatal Attractions. Oh, that was Fatal Attractions. Yeah, that's right. I'm mixing up my crossovers. Fatal Attractions is a good one too. Uh-huh. I was thinking of of that one just because I I love the cover where it's like Magneto is literally ripping the adamantium off of Wolverine. But you're right, it is Fatal Attraction. I remember of that crossover. I remember going to the comic book store that day because I wasn't the biggest Wolverine fan. I like Cyclops. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, you got that book where Wolverine gets messed up. <laughs> You're like, you have the one where the guy that I don't like almost dies. Cool. Yeah. One, please. I, I love that run just because it's what leads to <laughs> Professor X breaking Magneto's brain. And then that leads to Onslaught. And I just think the concept of Onslaught is unbelievably cool. Agreed. All right. So we've we've given our suggested reading. Now let's go into our grail finds. Now, Jared, what what's your first grail? Okay. These are... <sighs> Behind me in my office here, I have some comics on the wall. I'm a very visual person. They look very cool. My Havoc choices are all visually based. I'm going to go, my first one would be Uncanny X-Men number 270, uh, cover art by Jim Lee. Again, we talked about how Havoc has great artists that work on him, and Jim Lee is definitely one of those artists. This this cover is amazing just because you have Havoc literally shooting his like plasma blast straight up through and it's breaking the X-Men logo. Very, very reminiscent of the, uh, oh, what is it? Or the Spider-Man punching Hulk up and, and breaking that logo. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just, you've got the crumpled up X-Men and he's holding one. He's in the, the magistrate costume. And uh, properly depicting the way you should do Havoc's powers, by the way. Yes, absolutely. So that's definitely my first grill pick. Okay. Mine is, we're, we're going to keep on theme here. And I am also picking a Jim Lee cover. So this is going to be Uncanny X-Men issue 248. Now, this is back when Havoc still has the... Containment suit? The It's, it's the Wish version of the Cerebro helmet. On top of on top of Havoc's head. So he still very much has that very strange design. But this issue is important because it is the first time that Jim Lee penciled any X-Men art. And so not only it's the first time him doing X-Men art, it's his first cover for X-Men as well. And this issue is about Havoc accidentally, quote unquote, killing Storm. Obviously, they didn't kill off Storm here. But it, it's just... Super iconic. It has those pinks and yellows that just pop off. You have Storm is just laying out. Looks like she's dead. But it's so good. But you just have Havoc here that has this open mouth stare like, oh, what did I do? It's a very 80s-esque or 70s or 80s-esque cover grab like that eye pop. Like, what did he do? Did he really kill Storm? Like, I have to grab this. It's like a cliffhanger on a cover. Yes. It's like, well, I have to buy that. They, they really need to bring that because I feel like so many covers now are very much just action pose, cool image, which I, I'm a sucker for. I love I buy comics all the time just for covers, but I, I do miss the idea of the tease of something happening within the comic getting me to want to read because I feel like so many of those moments now are left behind the cover into the book so that you can have this moment like this drawback moment. But I, I feel like there needs to be a resurgence of those, not not spoiler covers, but something to draw you in like that. 
like this, if you buy this book, the scene depicted on the cover will be what you read about. Yes. Not just, yeah, here's an action pose of the title character. Yeah. Or one of 900 variants of a character that is not even going to be in the book that you are reading. I am not a fan of that. Yes. Pet peeve. There's so many times where I'm like, what? This character is going to be in this book? And so I buy it. I'm like, oh, it was just another variant that they're just doing randomly. Yay. All right. What's your next book? All right. We're sticking with the visual theme. Uh, Another crossover, Extinction Agenda Part 9. It is X-Factor number 62. Again, cover art by Jim Lee. (laughs) He's just getting all the love this episode. He really knows how to draw havoc. You've got Wolverine and Jubilee and you've got Cable. I mean, it's a very it's a very pinup looking cover. But Havoc, you know, projecting his powers and you've got Scott and Gene and the X Factor costumes, the original X Factor team. If it's just I look at it and I'm like, that's going on the wall. Yes. I have some of those books where it's like that's going on the wall. I've got to have it. What, What do you use to hang your comics on the wall, by the way? They're very nicely framed in the back. It's just a comic book frame that I found on Amazon. They just pop in. I'll send you the link. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes too, just so people can, can put up their books. You're welcome, collecting fans. See, we're just we're expanding your knowledge and what you can put on your shelf, covering all the bases. That's right. All right. We've been talking for a bit, so let's take a little bit of a break. The best way to support us is by leaving a rating and review. A five-star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcasts, and a review about what you liked in the episode does so much more. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. You can find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at CBKCast. We love to interact on social media, especially on Twitter. If you message me on Twitter, I will respond. Uh, Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And don't forget to check out our good friend and composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. Check his amazing work at, at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, as well as finding all of his music available for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. Now back to the issue. Welcome back. I'm very excited to talk about this next section because we're going to be talking about adaptations. Now, anytime we're going to be talking about an X-Men related character, Jared, what show are we going to always start with? Well, that would be X-Men, the animated series. Yes. So starting in 1992, that has the theme song that has ingrained itself into the DNA of all 80s and 90s children. Just to as soon as you start hearing those first notes, it it's on like it, it's a trigger in your brain. It's like I am ready to binge watch this show right now. 
or go to the arcade and play that six player version of the X-Men game because I need it in my life. Now, in in X-Men, the animated series, we don't get a lot of Havoc, but he does appear as a member of the X-Factor team. And there is a quote unquote friendly skirmish between X-Factor and the X-Men. And in here you have Scott and Alex going up against one another, but they don't recognize each other. There is no talk of they are brothers in that episode whatsoever. Do you do you remember this episode? I don't. You know, I, I love that show, and I was racking my brain for this moment. I, I have no recollection of this happening. I just... I I think I would remember that because like I said, X Factor was one of my jams back then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't I don't remember that. I, I, I'm gonna go on because X Men the Animated Series is on Disney Plus. So I'm I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna find that episode and I'm gonna watch it just so I can see the interaction happen. Cause I know later in the series, Alex or Havoc is mentioned again. And I think at that point they bring up the relationship, but he doesn't show up again which was super strange. And it's kind of the same thing in issue 54 of X-Men. So when Alex is introduced, it goes from this of there's no mention of Scott having a brother to the beginning of the issue is they're at, they're at like Alex's graduation from college and the other X-Men are like, Scott, how come you never talked to us about your, or told us about your brother before? And he's like, well, there's no blah, 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 blah. Like what? we're just we're just they just threw in his brother didn't do the whole like we've been separated and coming back together they just like no yeah i have a brother i he probably just didn't want to be like so when i was a kid the plane was about to crash (laughs) we were attacked by aliens the shiar and my father and mother were taken into space and then he became a space pirate they just don't want to go into that ever been just like pushed out of a plane in a parachute holding on to your brother with a death grip hoping you both survive he was probably just like, nah, I'm good. That's my brother, by the way. Just like, we're just, we'll just move this along. I, I don't want to tell this story again. So that's, that's literally all we get of Alex in X-Men, the animated series, but we get much more of him in a show that I absolutely love X-Men evolution, which came out in 2000. Did you watch the show? I didn't. I'm a little a little old for X-Men Evolution, honestly. Yeah, I I loved the character designs. I like the different animation. So this version of the series, they are in in high school. They they actually go to a school on top of also living at the X Mansion. It's it's one of those series that it, it's just a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the introduction of Alex in the series. And so you have him being this like Hawaiian surfer, long blonde hair, tan, and he is almost the like polar opposite personality of Scott, which is in theme with other iterations of those characters. There's a two part finale for season one. 
and it includes where Magneto is using the Gem of Ciderac. So normally what's used to power the Juggernaut, right? It's what gives him his powers. They're using it very loosely in this interpretation. And they use that gem to transform certain mutants into their fully evolved form, which includes Alex talking Scott into getting into that machine to transform and kind of go along with Magneto because in the storyline, Alex, whenever he uses his powers, it like hurts him very badly. Like it, it causes a lot of pain and he doesn't want to feel that pain anymore. So they both agree to go into this machine and they come out and they've aged up into adults. They both have white hair, much like Magneto, and they're wearing like identical brown jackets and like a dark pants and a white t-shirt. So it it's it it's comical, but I I loved that transformation with with them because they had full control of their powers at that point. So they're like omega level uh, powerful and they can just shoot and blast and tear stuff up and they don't Scott doesn't have to wear his glasses and Alex doesn't need a suit to control his power. I just did a quick Google image search and I saw the what you were just describing and I was like, well that doesn't seem to be related. Okay, white hair. Yep. Yep. So white hair. Let's just go with it. Now in this series, uh funny enough, Havoc, aka Alex Summers, is voiced by Matt Hill who some may know from playing Ed with 1D from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. He also voiced Rio in Ronin Warriors, which is a show that I was obsessed with growing up, as well as voicing Ironhide in Transformers Energon. So just a, a brief filmography for Matt Hill. But now we're moving on to the movies. We have Lucas Hill, who portrays Havoc in both X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, and uh, X-Men Apocalypse. So how did how did you like the portrayal of Lucas Till or, or Havoc in general in those films? I like the the raw, uncontrolled power that he had. You know, he's trying to focus to, to yes. be able to use his powers. Didn't his didn't his blasts come from his chest though? Yeah, they they came from like his his chest slash stomach. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird, but I just rolled with it. Yeah, I I'm very much. Same same boat of being a fan of them coming from his arms. Yeah. But it, w- it was interesting, like the chaos of him trying to control it. And so he's just blasting around like the, <laughs> da- the danger everything. room, just messing everything up and almost killing everyone. Uh, I-, I wasn't a big fan of the suits in first class, but I understood why they went the route they did. Because it's like the first iteration. They shouldn't have these amazing suits. Yeah, but I I think they did a good job of portraying him as a character in those films. Question: If you were to rank those three films, what order do you put them in? Oh, oh, okay. Stand by for hot take. Yep. Um, Days of the Future Past would be one. Okay. Uh, First Class would be two, and then Apocalypse would be three. Yep, I I think I'm in the same boat there. Days of Future Past was just such a cool movie-going experience. Like, I understand we had to suspend reality of what it, it was a uh, Kitty Pri- Was it Kitty Pride? Yes. That was, yeah. Like, I didn't understand what the heck was going on with those powers, but I'm like, whatever. It, it's a superhero movie. I'll suspend my belief in, in what her powers can actually do. But bringing back, like, combining the, the different teams together. 
two franchises. Yeah. I don't know why people like trash that so hard. I find that really annoying when people will like be really hyped for a movie and then seven years down the road, retroactively, they're just like, oh, that wasn't a very good movie. Yeah. Dude, Days of the Future Past was super cool. It was and really I will fun. Fight you yeah. if you don't agree with me. I, I really like the suit designs. I think that when when they were going to the past and they were trying to like kill Mystique, and she's just like trying to get away from people and or Magneto's trying to kill her, and she's like freaking out and running away and there was some serious drama going on there. That was, that was probably peak performances for a lot of those actors in that franchise. And can I just say, if you didn't like tear up a little bit when Wolverine gets back and Charles is like, welcome back. Yeah. There's something wrong with you. Oh, that was such a good line. Ooh. Now I need to rewatch days of future past. I'm, I'm legitimately wearing an X-Men crossover shirt of days of future past right now. Nice. But yeah, I, I agree with that. So I as long as we can all agree that Apocalypse was the worst one, that's fine by me. All right, moving on to games. So Havoc has appeared in so many different video games. So we're just going to very much, very briefly go over these. Uh, and if you've played any of these, let me know and we can talk about them a little bit more. I can tell you beforehand, I have not. Okay, so we're just going to go super fast. So you have X-Men Mutant Academy 2, X-Men 2 The Fall of the Mutants, and X-Men 3 Mojo World. You also have Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, which I, I know is popular for some people. And then you have Marvel Avengers Alliance. As, as a massive fan of X-Men Legends and X-Men Legends 2, I was upset that Havoc is just an NPC in those games because... I, again, I was a fan of, of Havoc from X-Men Evolution, and I wanted to play as that character, but all I got to do was watch him in the game and not play him. So I'm, I'm hoping for, if there's a chance we get an X-Men Legends 3, please just throw Havoc in there. Let me play as that character, please. Of course, you have uh, Havoc is a playable character in Marvel Super Hero Squad Online, voiced by Travis Willingham. And then you have uh, an MMORPG version of the X-Men and Marvel Heroes in general called Marvel Heroes, voiced by Liam O'Brien. So just, just two of those voice actors were thrown out there. And of course, no video game list is complete on our show without mentioning a Lego game. So Havoc appears and is playable in Lego Marvel Super Heroes. Now, on to probably one of the strangest segments of our show. Let's talk about... What Each issue we do at Nerds Do Best, we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. In this episode, our what if is, what if Havoc continued to work for the government and became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? So Jared, do you want to kind of discuss our thought process behind creating this what if and, and kind of get us rolling of what we, we think would happen? Well, you've got Havoc with his association with X-Factor. It's a government organization. So if he stayed on with that, he's going to build, you know, power and influence and work his way up. And if you've got the government, you've got shield, you know, there's going to be some, some intermingling of that. And you would just think that if he stuck to government work, he's going to gain favor with like 
Fury or Hill or um, Carter and, you know, just join on, jump on the shield side of things. I, I really see Alex and Coulson getting along very well on a team together. I think their personalities would, would blend very well with one another. And I would be interested to see just because agents of shield, usually we we're talking about just human characters. So not too many powers are brought in except for in the agents of shield TV show. We have uh, sky who is an inhuman. So there could be that involvement as well, but definitely seeing Maria Hill involved there. And there, there's just a lot you can do. I think that with, with this character, just because he is very much of that mindset of, I want to do good, but I also like to know that the government is behind me and what my actions are. And I don't have to worry about being thrown into prison for doing anything. So it, it kind of is this perfect transition from being in an X factor type scenario to graduating up to the big leagues in the government and saying, okay, yeah, you are part of this like X-Men offshoot, but now you can be a part of something even bigger and have something that has a budget or and money behind it that is actually government issued in order to be more of a global assistant with with these different issues or scenarios. And you can you could have him as a field agent you know, running certain missions, but you can also see havoc with his, you know, born leadership moving up the ranks. I could see him as a director. Absolutely. I think that would, that would be really interesting actually. And I wouldn't even be surprised if just over the years, there could be this scenario of him not even having to use his powers. And so it's, it might even become more of like a quote unquote myth or a story that he was once like this powerful mutant and he would do all these things, but he hasn't manifested it in a long time. And so people might think, Oh, he can't even do it anymore. Or was he ever really a mutant? And then you could have this amazing story of like an old man havoc where he, he comes back and he's like, Oh, you think I can't do this anymore? And then just wreck shop to show it off. The old man, the trench coat just comes off. He's got to do what he's got to do. And there comes havoc. I, I would love it. It's just one of those things where it, it's that well that you can keep going back to of the old man fill in the blank or old woman fill in the blank. Have have we, we haven't gotten an old woman fill in the blank. Is that, is that because no. it's like derogative to, to say women are old? <laughs> We'll just go with that. Yeah. Let's just, let's just equality old woman, fill in the blank, old woman, rogue. Like she can just, I could, I honestly would see an old woman rogue kind of siphoning life force from others so that she doesn't have to age or she doesn't have to die. And that could turn her into a villain at the end of her life too. There's a lot of things you can do with that, <laughs> but that's a, that's a whole nother tangent for another day. You know what we haven't done? We haven't discussed yet. What haven't we discussed? The other Summers brothers. Yes. There's so many to talk about. Have you been reading X-Men Legends? I haven't. I have I have the first issue, but I haven't been reading it. Dude, so Havoc actually is in the first two issues, and then um, I believe issue five, he comes back with an X-Factor story. Okay. That's a highly recommended, but I thought it was funny that they 
they finally got to be like, no, 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 this is who the third Summers brother was supposed to be. Oh, that's super interesting. I'm going to have to check that one out. too. See, look at that. An extra pull list at the end of the episode. There you go. Another, another little tidbit for you to go off and find that story. No, but the, the covers for that X-Men Legends comics are super cool. Oh, yeah. I, as soon as I saw the title, I was like, well, I'm obsessed with the game, so I need the issue. I just, I saw the concept where it's like, not only is it going back and filling in the gaps, but it's those creators getting to come back and tell their story. I was, I, I haven't bought very many Marvel books in the last year, but when I saw that, I went to my local shop and I was like, I need that. I need that on my pull list. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out now too. Well, this has been an absolute blast to have you on, Jared. So if you want to plug your show and where everyone can find and listen. Absolutely. Uh, you can find our show, Punch the Timeline, anywhere you find find quality podcasts. Um, interact with me on Twitter. We're there at Timeline Punch because Punch the Timeline was one too many characters. Oh. So Timeline Punch, yeah. Timeline Punch on Twitter, Punch the Timeline on Instagram. There's the occasional uh, posting. I did a I did a reel of my Roadcaster Pro and that was pretty popular. I thought that was funny. Like I never post anything and then like my phone just lit up. <laughs> so yeah. So, but mostly I'm on Twitter and I love to interact with people, you know, give me a shout out. Tell me what you think about any comics. I'm a wrestling fan. If you want to talk wrestling any night, hit me up. Timeline Punch on Twitter, podcasts, wherever you can find them, Punch the Timeline. And I, I strongly recommend this show as well. I I love it. It's super fun to listen to just because I, I am very interested in learning when I'm listening to a podcast too. And so I appreciate the, the, the research that you do and put in in order to kind of educate listeners on on just nerdy information. So I, I'm very much a fan. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a blast, by the way, on this show. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. It's, it's been a lot of fun to have you on and, and I'm excited just because, uh, just listening to your recent episode too, the, the punch, the timeline is we're switching up names a little bit coming up here soon. Yes. We're kind of splitting off. Cause I was thinking like, I do have my co-host Devin and we're doing our thing, but my thing with my wife is going pretty well. And I thought, what do you do when you're doing a comic book and you want to spin off? You just throw an adjective in front of it. So me and my wife will be Uncanny Timeline, and me and my friend Devin will be Spectacular Timeline, but you can find them all on the Punch Timeline Network. I love it, and I'll be listening to both. <laughs> Thank you. It's time to close the book on Havoc. So until next time, this is Lance. And this is Jared. Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer.